Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward. I think one of the great challenges of our time, not just with work, but with the way that we consume, the way that we live, is that our whole value system is based on more, you know, more success, more acknowledgement, more material goods, more money. Phoebe Lovett is a long-term friend of Proteins. Originally from North London, she's been around the world, literally, for the last 10 years, and now finds herself back in her old stomping ground. I originally interviewed Phoebe two years ago during her transformative year, as it was called. So I'm happy to now finally share an updated version of her stories of growth, recorded a few weeks ago in our studio in Shoreditch. Phoebe, great to have you on the show. Thanks um, for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you in London. Yeah. Um, I think the last time we met and chatted, we were in New York, yes. uh, which feels like a long time ago, because I think it was maybe two years. I was just trying to remember. Um, I think it might have been summer 2018. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. But then it could have been 2017. I'm not sure. It feels like that long ago. Like 2018 sounds too recent, but... Mm, but time is a variable at the moment. It really is. Yeah. So um, why don't we start with a, a quick intro? Um, for those who don't know who you are, what you're up to, um, maybe just uh, yeah, let's open with that. Um, so my name is Phoebe Lover. And I am a writer and a moderator. And I mean, I do a lot of things, but that's kind of generally how I sum it up because it's vaguely straightforward. Um, I grew up in London and then for the last eight, almost, no, eight years, yeah. Eight years almost to the day, I um, have been living mostly in the US. Well, I have been living in the US in LA where I moved in 2012. Um, and then later in New York, in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy. Um, and then I was spending a lot of time in Mexico City, but technically been living in the US. So um, and now I'm in London, um, <laughs> which is a bit disorienting, but I think lots of people feel displaced at the moment in one way or another. And obviously because I grew up in London, it's, you know, there's something about being back here which is very um, settling to me. And what else should I tell you about myself? I mean, that's great. I mean, okay. why don't we start with why, why are you back? Why am I back? Um, <laughs> well, um, as I said, I've been living in the US and I, you know, continue to feel... It's a complicated time to have spent like a formative part of my adult life in the US, but also be quite conflicted about my personal future living there because obviously there's a lot going on there at the moment and you know we're speaking weeks before the next election and I think I came back because of the pandemic um I just needed to be back here for various personal reasons but I think more broadly like a lot of people in and outside of the US who've spent time there it's its future is looking a little you know I think it's time to reevaluate, perhaps it certainly feels like that for me. Um, I, I'm kind of, I still feel like psychologically between the two. Um, and I may 
go back to the US at some point, but I'm kind of waiting to see what happens next. Where do you call home? Oh, this is the existential dilemma of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Straight in. No, truly. I mean, this, you know, I actually said that to someone recently, I think, obviously in in a weird way as disorienting as this year has been I think for everyone it's been massively clarifying right like suddenly you just had this very stark um connection to like you know the people you wanted to be around the way that you wanted to spend your days things that felt important and for me someone who's been floating around because as well as living in those places I've traveled massively and um, and bounced between these three cities, LA, New York, and London, on a sort of endless loop for the last um, eight years. And all the while being like, where do I, you know, where's where's really where I belong, you know, on and on and on. It's, it's such a privileged, like, dilemma to have, but it's, a, it's real. That's just how my life has been. And not just because I've been able to flip between them, but because I've spent these very, like, crucial periods of my life in each. You know, I moved to LA when I was in my... Uh, early 20s and like that was a pretty pretty extreme thing to do so that's obviously somewhere that I have a big emotional connection to and then New York I spent you know four very formative years as well I was there for Trump's election you know I felt the energy of the city change um but London is my my home and I, in a in a very like I don't even need to think about it like I just I'm back here and I just feel there's this weird sense of peace, you know, in London, even though it's such a hectic place. I just feel like there's a part of my mind and even my body that can just relax when I'm here, strangely. Um, and you never found that in the States or oh, any of the other locations? It's it's difficult because it's like there's an aspect... It's not that I find London to be my dream lifestyle, to be totally honest, you know. I think we all know, like, the the weather and the, like various it's so expensive and but no I never as much as I you know loved LA at certain points and loved New York and there's just something about being back here that is it just instantly puts me at ease um I think that's a lot to do with the fact that most of my close friends still live here though you know my mom left years ago my dad has basically not lived here for my the majority of my life, but um, m- most of my friends are here. They didn't leave. Mm. So that's very, like, soothing and to me. Yeah. Understandably. Uh, where are your parents? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Mum, Dad, if you're listening. Um, no, my dad currently lives in L.A., but he's lived all over the place. I mean, in my lifetime alone, my dad's lived in Paris twice, London, New York, LA, Miami, and some of those cities more than like really all over the place. And my mum currently splits her time between Spain and Wales. So yeah, I mean, you can see a pattern emerging here. I mean, I don't want to spell it out, but it looks like there's a, a, yeah, there's something that comes before in terms of that. Totally, yeah. And I think this is another thing I was saying. But it's always been like that, even through when you were growing up? Not my mum, obviously. She, She brought me up in London. Um, Your parents together? No, no. My parents have pretty much always been separated. They separated when I was very young. I think my mum would have liked to leave London, but, you know, she um, she recognised that, like, once I was in school here and, you know, it was just, like, 
it wasn't about her personal whims. So, but she did, she left as soon as she left when I was like 18. So I haven't, you know, been living in a family home in London all these years of coming back, which is kind of strange in and of itself. Um, and I think has been part of the reason why, in one sense, it's been liberating because I think for a lot of my friends who maybe would have considered leaving, the fact that their families were in London always gave them this tie to the city that I kind of lost very early on, you know. Um, but it's also been really inconvenient because I've been very uh, conscious of wanting to maintain my connections to London and my connections to my friends here. And so I've come back a lot at great expense. And obviously I've had to figure out places to stay over the years. So that's been always a bit of a, you know, a conundrum for me. But um, yeah, so no, my mum, my mum was in London. My, you know, we, we were in, I grew up literally right in the middle of London. But my dad, from when I was seven, was off and away pretty much yeah I think I think he briefly lived in London again when I was like 11 or 12 but he was in Paris till I was 17 and then he moved to the US and he's been there ever since mm. is that related to the 4-4 on your chain the 4-4 is I have like a group of friends and we I mean it's kind of tongue-in-cheek we we all got like these number plate necklaces um somewhat but I find the four is I think just an auspicious number so it's partly that as well. But yeah, it was a little bit that. It's just a bit embarrassing to admit. <laughs> a 25-year-old decision. <laughs> All good. Um, big fan of your writing. Thanks, man. And your, yeah, observations, I think, is to me the, um, the entry point on, uh, on you know, your commentary, shall mm -hmm. we say, of what world affairs or your world in front of you mm -hmm. um and i sense an element of you know and as you've just articulated you know frictions you know confusions you know dilemmas mm -hmm. as i think we all have and we all are mm -hmm. um in this current crazy world of corona mm -hmm. um but if we could sort of transport ourselves back from this hazy numb you know, space that we currently are, you know, maybe to some formative defining years of, I guess, sort of your entry into journalism or into writing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, curious just to know, you know, whether that path was, you know, always there for you. Um, and was there something that, you know, was, you know, defining in terms of this is what I'm going to be? This is what I want to do. I mean, both my parents are writers, so that's obviously a pretty obvious starting point. My mum doesn't really uh, work so much anymore uh, just because she lives a very low-key lifestyle, not because she's a bazillionaire. Um, and my, my dad is very much still a writer. Um, so, and when I was growing up, they were both journalists. Neither of them are journalists anymore. My dad is writing a book and my mum, as I said, doesn't really write any anymore formally. Um, but... I was around that world. Both my parents were magazine journalists when I was growing up freelance. Um, and because I was a little overachieving freak, I kind of begged my parents from a very early age to like help me to set up internships. I mean, I'm talking about when I was like 13, I wanted to do internships and I did. And so, and where, that was- where, where were these internships? Um, my first internship was when I was literally 13. So it was obviously a bit illegal, but I don't think, I, you know, I don't know, somehow they kind of, this was back in the day. 
um, at Elle Girl, which is a defunct magazine now, which is obviously like a teenage spin-off of Elle. And then um, I interned basically. I mean, this is, again, all of my own volition. My parents were not pushing me to do this. In fact, I think they were a bit bemused by it. But I just really wanted to be in the world of work and I was really intrigued by it. And I also recognised that I was very privileged to, you know, have access to a world that was like pretty fun and colourful and interesting. So um, I interned pretty much every year from when I was 13 to when I graduated when I was 22 at many different magazines um, in London and then also spent my gap year, like worked for half of it to make money and then went to the US and did some interning in New York and Miami. Um, and yeah, so I, where did I, I interned at GQ, I interned at L Proper, I interned at Time Out London, I interned at a magazine called Trace in New York, which is uh, folded quite a long time ago, but that was really formative for me. Um, I remember Trace. It was a great magazine. Great magazine. It was very ahead of, ahead of its time. The tagline for Trace was transcultural styles and ideas. And its founder, Claude Grinitsky, um, is kind of a mentor of mine, really great guy. And he he's a Togolese man. He's of Togolese descent. He grew up in Paris and his... I mean, he's, then he moved to London, worked for Jefferson Hack in the very, very early days of Dazed. And then moved to New York and sort of like, he kind of, I think he very early on recognised that hip-hop was going to be something that would change the world culturally because it would forge all these connections between different cultures. And I think it really did. And, and I mean, the magazine was much more than that, but that was kind of its base note. And that was really, um, I think his worldview a very global worldview and an overview of how kind of these webs of culture between cities and countries would fuse. Mm. When I look back is something that I think as well as my own upbringing and my, the way my parents looked at the world was quite formative for me. Yeah, 100%. Have you ever had a job? <laughs> um by a traditional sense of a job. I have had a job, thank you. <laughs> Although my dad has this like joke. It. Can I swear on this podcast? You can do what you want. Uh, my dad has this joke that <laughs> all me, him and my mum so all separately are TFE technically fucking unemployable because we're just... <laughs> I TFE, sorry. Um, because we're all just uh, in very different ways, just like... Mm, not very good at following instructions. Um, I did, I have had jobs, yes. When I, I'm not asking for your CV. No, I know. It's obviously I've got a chip on my shoulder. Um, when I graduated from university, pretty much straight away I started working in the where head office. You, where were you at uni? I went to UCL. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I did a history degree. Um, and as I said, I was interning. And actually by that point, I'd, I was also freelancing as a journalist like little tiny jobs but I, I had you know because I'd been interning by that point for quite a while magazines had started letting me write little bits and pieces so when I worked at Time Out they let me write a few little bits and stuff like that um so I was doing that but then I got a job covering someone who was going on sabbatical at Nike London working in the head office there assisting Rona Joy Dam mm -hmm. who was the marketing direct energy marketing director at that point yeah, we know Ronnie. We know him. Um, and I did that for a bit. And then obviously the woman who was on sabbatical came back. So that kind of ended. And I, I think I could have stayed on at Nike, but as I said... Wait, what year was this? 2000 and... I graduated in 2000... 
10 or 11, I think. But then I ended up working um, still with freelance for Nike. I've worked freelance for Nike in many capacities pretty much throughout my entire career. So I was just thinking when I walked down here, actually down Bateman's Road, like the last summer I spent in London was the Olympic summer. And I worked out of 1948 on a freelance basis doing like content. And, and you know, we put together this yearbook of like 100... Uh, with Sharmadine, my friend Sharmadine Reed put together this yearbook of a hundred kind of creative talents in London to watch. And it's crazy because when you look back in that book now, it was like so many interesting young people in London who've become very formative to the city's culture in one well, global culture. Mm. Um, did that. And then kind of, I think like what I consider to be the only proper job I've ever had in terms of going to an office and like having a lot of responsibility is... Um, I got a job with Soho House, the Soho House group, when I was 23 or 4, <laughs> doing, quite implausibly doing, ed- launching their um, in-house website, House 7, like the editorial component of it, compiling all the copy, writing nearly all of it, and doing all their global marketing copy for all the houses. It's the kind of job when you're 23, you're like, bring it on. And just even repeating it now makes me feel tired. But it was, it was, um, it was amazing. Like it was an amazing opportunity. And I'm really grateful that they sort of like took a chance with me to do that. Cause I certainly didn't have that much experience under my belt, obviously. Um, and yeah, so I did that for a while, but then I got, I got my green card and, and I knew I'd, I'd been kind of trying to make it happen for a couple of years um, I got it through my dad's screen card and uh, I always knew that once I got it, I would have to take residence in the US within six months. Otherwise it would kind of become null and void. So when I got it, I, I, I quit that job. Although I did end up freelancing again for Sarah House in LA for a while. And that was your last job? <laughs> it was my, my last like salaried. Proper job. Turn up every day job, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Don't worry, I've never had a job. Well, I had a job for a year after I graduated, but it doesn't really count. Um, I mean, I'd be open to having a job. I just, (laughs) if anyone's listening. (laughs) No, I just, just, yeah, I don't know. Status. Jobs have never. Available for hire. I mean, truly. Um, Did you really want a job? uh, I mean, this is the thing. What is a job? Exactly. Like, you know, I think in. What is work? We're coming on to your book in a minute. What is what? Whoa, I might have to warm up a bit more for that. But um, I think a job, I think a lot of my resistance to trying to get a job was, um, I I wasn't resistant to getting a job because I really wanted to work almost. I obviously have some sort of pathological obsession with work. Yeah. Yeah. All I do is talk about bloody work. So it's obviously not that. It's more that I didn't like the idea of having to be in one place. And of course that as a restriction no longer well, I don't think that that will ever really exist in the same way that it did before. Um, certainly not. I, I mean, you tell me because you're the one who employs a, a load of people, but expecting people to be at desks every day at the same, you know, that's become an irrelevant concept. And truly that was my major um, res- resistance to the idea of sort of jobs as I knew them was like having to be in the same place every day at the same time, five days a week was you know, made me feel a bit itchy. So um, maybe now I would con- consider trying to have a job if 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 I could do it remotely. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. 
don't know. It sounds like Might you've got enough, enough projects on to keep yeah. your uh, keep your days and weeks pretty um, pretty full anyway. Yeah, I'll try and keep myself busy. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's talk about your recent book, mm-hmm. Work Ethics. Mm-hmm. I have a copy here. Um, for what it lacks in size, it makes up in content. Oh, thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we, we, we start with the latest, but then touch on some of your previous ones because mm-hmm. there definitely feels like a evolution mm, of some of your I'm glad <laughs> that was the plan right yeah hopefully um yeah if you're it's not it's a, it's a methodology you know how you think how you communicate um but it says on the cover 20 ideas for 2020 and beyond mm-hmm. so I mean let's start with that what does what does that mean to you so um this little book, Work Ethics. I mean, I'm a bit hesitant to call it a book because it's short. It's a booklet. It's brief. It's a booklet. Booklet? Yeah. Yeah, okay. when I was filling out the customs form, sending them to America, about I wrote booklet. My, it's about the size of my hand. Yeah. yeah. It's four by six, which is a, a, a kind of motif of mine in my work. I love little books. Um, I've made several little books in my lifetime. Um 20 ideas for 2020 and beyond. So this the concepts and this concept of this book was kind of arose as you said and I don't know like how you want me to discuss the chronology of this of the work that I was doing previously which was sort of um I've always talked about working on capacity or another but for a long time I was doing it through a platform called the WW club which mm-hmm. was started life as the working women's club and it was um a sort of platform for women in creative industries which comprised initially a pop-up co-work space this was in 2015 for anything like that in LA, really existed in LA yeah and then was a roaming concept so I did events all over the world um I produced a lot of content I launched a membership platform and I hosted a psychopathic number of events on my own which saw me again doing all the aforementioned jumping around the planet producing and hosting events on my own I mean it was great, but uh, yeah, it was a lot. And then I kind of, with a publisher, I did a book off the back of that as well called The Working Women's Handbook. And then in 2018, which I think was the last time we spoke, and as I've said, I was a little bit not very clear-headed at that time I in my I'll life. I put it down to sort of in transition. Well, partly that, but partly I also had a major accident that year. Your back? Yeah, I'd really hurt my back. And um so I was just in like daily pain. Long story short, I spent a lot of summer 2018 sitting at home in a lot of pain thinking about my life. <laughs> and I think after... And you're in New York now, right? I was in New York at that point. I'd moved to New York in 2015 because I oh no, I started the platform at the beginning of 2015 and it took off in a way that I really didn't envision. Again, I'm not trying to be like self-congratulatory, but this was this preceded a lot of stuff in that space um and so I think people were just really intrigued and excited by it and it took off really quickly and also I pushed it really hard because I was like wow I've had a good idea people like it and so I ran with it and then very quickly it became clear to me that I needed to be in New York to grow it and I kind of was over living in LA at that point as well like there was not enough energy and hustle there I moved to LA in 2012 before it kind of popped and I watched it grow and become exciting but it was it's never going to have that dynamic energy and I was re- I needed it at that point to like keep going and I had a lot of energy myself so I wanted to like find an outlet so anyway I moved to New York and I'd been living there for two years working it was good it was all going well I was making good money you know it was it was felt successful but I think 
when Trump was elected in 2016, you know, that was a kind of, that was a perspective shifter for me. And it, it was the catalyst for me sort of looking more broadly at my own politics and the way that I'd viewed the world, the way that I'd viewed living in America and, you know, kind of some of the beliefs that I'd been running off. And I just had a bit of a crisis with the whole project for various reasons. And, and I think I'd known that on a subconscious level for a long time, but I'd kept pushing with it and having this accident and literally being on my back for three months gave me time to realize that I had really, it was really, I was really misaligned with what I was, with the, some of the messaging around what I'd been doing and, and that I, in good conscience, I didn't feel like I wanted to continue on that track anymore. So I wound down all the kind of business elements of what I was doing and I relaunched the platform as um, a resource of ideas and techniques for a new working world. That's what I called it. Um, but I wasn't really still totally clear on what that meant in terms of a public offering. I was just writing a newsletter, but I stopped doing events and everything. That was throughout 2019. And then I think, and then I, and then I, you know, I did take time to just say, and it was, you know, there was a lot going on in my own life as aside from like what I was trying to work through with what I was writing and whatever. So it took these ideas a minute to settle. But um, at the end of last year, beginning of this one, I sort of like began, began to sort of crystallize my new, like this development in the way that I think and, and the way that I wanted to formalize that into some kind of new philosophy moving forward. And I was working those ideas into a proper book proposal with an agent. And then um, when just before the pandemic hit, long story, uh, I don't really want to go into the details of it, but it just it transpired that 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 the agent wasn't able to sell the proposal I'd been working on, which wasn't exactly that book at all. But it was a variation of similar ideas. So for about a month, I just was in the pandemic dealing with my immediate life like everyone was thinking about what to do next. Um, and I just decided to self-publish them and also to push them further and be more honest with them. I think the proposal that I'd been, that I'd been working on wasn't, wasn't really my true, again, I'd sort of fallen into like modifying how I felt about things because I was trying to sell a book, quite frankly. And I'd learned from book, publishing a book before that like, uh, you know, unless you're publishing, publishing with like Versa or something, it's quite hard to push niche ideas when you know, maybe the way that you would be marketed in the eyes of a publishing house is not by any means, you know, to that kind of audience. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to self-publish it. And I gave myself maybe two months to rework it. And then that's what you have there, which is nothing about the book. It's just about me. But <laughs> it's hard to separate the tale of one from the other, to be honest. Understood. And... <clears throat> I think just touching on that, I guess the work ethic employed to create the book about work ethics, if I may, um, uh, you know, it's bringing it back to, you know, DIY, right? This is self-publishing, uh, you know, hand-labeling you know, envelopes. Mm. You know, this is back to... It's, we're cyclic so this is the beginning right mm -hmm. but it's it's the evolution of 
who we are, what we do, when we are, where we are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, how did that feel in terms of that moment of, and, and I guess and there must be a moment of you know, reward because, you know, here's the completed and this isn't necessarily delivered to publisher in terms mm -hmm. of my manuscript and you see it in the bookshops, you know, a slightly different satisfaction in terms of, you know, a finished product. Mm. Um, maybe just touch on that in terms of the, the feeling of completion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but, you know, there was a part of my ego that was like, I've done all this work. I've published a book. I've self-published several projects. I've run a business. I've lived, you know, why am I still working in this way? And then I realized that this was the most honest way that I could actually present these ideas because the whole ethos of the book is not necessarily just DIY, but it's, 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 it's me making an argument for sort of, and this is something I'm working through, by the way, in my own life in real time. This is not something I, I claim to have conquered by any means because it's a massively complex thing. But it was me sort of saying we need to reach a new understanding of what success means, of the way that we conceive of work and our careers and human value and the environmental impact of what we do and not I don't just mean in terms of climate and ecology but in terms of human impact and just this whole system around work the whole paradigm of it I think obviously whether we like it or not it's changed but you know that was me kind of trying to organize my ideas on why I think it needs to and how I'm thinking about it now and again self-publishing this project felt like the most honest way to present those ideas in a way you know because it was um it was me saying to myself you the value of this work is that it's in the public space not that you get validated by a publisher to put it out there and also you're saying to people that they need to let go of needing these sort of um or, or like we need to think beyond needing these kind of institutional markers of success you know and so that to me felt like the most honest way that I could do that on a personal level. So it was almost like a proof of concept in that sense. That's mm. how I viewed it personally. And of the 20 ideas, any favourites? Oh my God, I actually, do you know what? This is so bad to admit. I haven't opened it for like a really long time. Because you, you know when you finish, you know when you finish something, you can't bear to look at it. People keep messaging me about it and I'm like, oh, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um... I think, I think something, you know, well, let's talk about one that maybe aligns with this, the subject of this podcast, that aspire to a post-growth career, you know, by which I'd been reading a lot of um, theory on sort of uh, sustainability in various contexts. And, you know, I think one of the great challenges of our time, not just with work, but with the way that we consume, the way that we live, is that our our whole um, value system is based on more, you know, more success, more acknowledgement, more material goods, more money. And it's all well and good telling people that you shouldn't aspire to that. But it's like, well, what should they aspire to then? You know, how people need markers of progress, Um like we're human beings, like we need a narrative, we need a story to get our heads around and trying, and again, I'm still doing this very much myself in real time and I slip and I fall and I, but that's what I'm trying to do is like, okay, if I decide I want to dispense with that, that way of living my life and chasing and 
in, and living in New York was very much about chasing and um, what do I what do I put in its place? And for me, there's not one answer to that. There's lots of answers, but part of it is certainly about you know reorienting away from uh, orienting away from individual focus to collective focus and thinking about interdependency and you know I put in some stuff in there about ethics of care which is sort of like approaching your ethical belief system from a interpersonal standpoint first how does this decision affect other people what you know rather than thinking about do I believe this is immorally right you know and these are all big complex ideas that I do not claim to have um expertise on but they're I I felt that I knew that a lot of people that I was speaking to and more broadly were like in one way or another having these internal dilemmas themselves you know like I said at the top of the podcast I think this year has been clarifying in one sense that we've realized so much of what we were doing before was bullshit but like you've got to have something to replace the bullshit and um I hoped that it would be helpful for me to be like, oh, okay, well, I've actually been thinking about this stuff for like a year and that doesn't make me a, you know, a PhD doctor on it, but here's what I've got so far. And and like, we can use this as a starting point to um, start piecing together this new way of working and living that we, we're trying to build right now, right? Mm. All of us. Yeah, I completely agree. And we talk, <clears throat> we talk about good growth and the act of balancing progress, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward with purpose, yeah. your why, <clears throat> but also profit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still got to have you know, a commercial agenda mm-hmm. um, you know, because that's you know, how the world works. And yeah. This isn't about capitalism. This is just about you know, viability. Um, and it's a tough one because... You try and balance those three. Those are three opposing forces. Um, but you, know, you get that right, and there's some great examples of brands, businesses, individuals who are you know, succeeding. And you know, I'm simplifying for the sake of ease of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, right now, out of those three, and and personally, you know, professionally, the main one that has been you know, revealed, shall we say, is purpose. And, you know, the why question. Yeah. And without getting into a Simon Sinek, <clears throat> you know, tangent, you know, so many brands, so many business, so many people are like, they just don't ask it or they don't know it. <clears throat> and... And often you don't necessarily need it, but it certainly helps if you have at least got an idea about what that might be, even if you don't know the answer explicitly of like, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that certainly from everything that I've been reading or seeing or, you know, similarly talking to, it's like, oh, shit, what is replacing this void that has been left by mm. a behavior change that is unprecedented mm-hmm. or... Uh, a commercial business model that just doesn't exist or, you know, a set of relationships that is, you know, completely transformed. It's mm-hmm. like, well, it's not about going backwards or going forwards. It's just like, why are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> why were we doing before? Why are we doing it again? It's like, let's do, let's do something else. Um, 
which is refreshing if somewhat daunting if that your entire business is you know completely dissolved overnight mm. you know obviously it's terrifying yeah um and you know and without going into the analogies of darwinisms or you know boats and tides it's like you know this is just the reality and it's how we adjust mm-hmm. so i don't know in some interesting as i said observations which to me sort of definitely resonate of our time um but i think it's the like wrap that up in terms of a purpose Mm. um do you have a you know is there a goal is there something that somebody wants you would like someone to react respond you know achieve off your work or off your books um i don't I, i get i'm very wary of being sort of like self congratulatory in terms of the impact of of what I do and I think the weird thing about being a writer is that you sit in a room all day on your own having your little thoughts and then you put them on paper or send them in an email and then mostly you have no idea how they land in people's heads but I think what's what you know a thing that I've spent a lot of the last I've been running a newsletter for like four years now but two years ago I made it a personal newsletter as in I write it, it's from me and it's kind of become more little like mini essay based over the years as well Um, and so I have this quite nice feedback loop with the people who read it not that everyone obviously replies to it but off every week a few people will reply or sometimes a lot Um, and I suppose the purpose of what what exactly is the question? Sorry, the hope that my my hope of the impact of this work. What would you like people to do after reading it? I um, mean, how would you like to, you know, it's maybe it's not filling in the gaps of what's gone, you know, what's missing. Mm-mm. But is there, you know, is there a goal for it? Is is there a is there a tangible result? I mean, I think with with a lot of the work that I've done in, did in my late twenties with the WW Club, partly through self-direction and partly just because you know this was kind of the the role that was projected on me but a lot of it became quite instructional and I that was one thing I really wanted to move away from I'm not trying to tell anyone what they should be doing how to very much not so you know and I think if there's one thing we've all really realized is that people's lived experience is affected by millions of factors and I'm very conscious of the fact that I can't I can't offer, I can only speak from my own perspective um, and work in particular and the way, you know, even to be able to take a philosophical view of work is, ooh, here comes the rain. Um, we're, in, we're in London, yeah? <laughs> I think we might be. Um, you know, that is a very specific position to sit in. Um, so, I, but I suppose all I wanted to do was I sensed a massive amount of confusion and fear and I was feeling it myself. And I thought, well, yeah, I have been thinking about this stuff for a while, actually. And I think, I hope that some of what I've kind of pieced together already might actually be valuable to people who are sitting at home right now thinking, "Mm, where do I go from here? And again, I'm far from an expert. I've tried to cover quite a broad spectrum of ideas in this book, but very much just as a sort of starting point and... I'd like to develop some of them. That's one of the things I'm thinking about now is ways that I can take these ideas and 
and develop them, not least so I can learn more and speak to people who are more, um, who have more knowledge in specific fields. That's something I'm going to do next with the, with the general concept to pick out pieces of what I've discussed and, and go to p people who, who specialize in those areas and hopefully have conversations with them about it. But, um, yeah, I, I suppose a lot of what I try and do with my writing is offer a bit of comfort. I think for a long time I was writing very specifically for young women and I, my audience has broadened now and I'm grateful for that because I, it's nice to be able to speak to everyone, but I was very conscious when I started writing that young women have a lot of self-doubt and, um, I just wanted to be like, it's okay. Like we all, you know, everyone has self-doubt and um, that was part of it with this was just like, everyone's a bit confused right now and it's okay. But also some really clever people have thought about lots of aspects of this. So here's some of their ideas. Mm. But that's the role of the journalist, right? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm moving more towards just, would just identify more as a writer because I don't really report. Okay. Um, and I don't, wouldn't say I have, you know, reporting. I, to me, journalism is quite a specific, like, fact research-based mm. um, job, and uh, I now am more inclined to, like, my own work and ideas are much more informed by, like, my reading, you know, reading philosophy and, and like, various esoteric texts rather than necessarily going out into the field and doing research yeah. so just coming back to your earlier years and your parents and your uh relocation dislocation yeah um and your uh i guess sort of entry into the work world um maybe just talk about privilege yeah um <laughs> In a you know in a broad context, yeah, um, because it's I think relevant now more than ever. Yeah, um, recognizing it. Yeah, uh, and yeah, we could just to get your your views, your thoughts on. Yeah, on that. I mean, of course, you know, you can. I I would say that I had immense privilege growing up. It wasn't. I didn't grow up in wealth. Um, I I didn't. I grew up in a council estate. Neither of my parents ever really made a lot of money. Their values systems were very much based on, you know, they wanted to live their lives in a certain way and they were happy to sacrifice material security to do that, you know, which I actually now see as a real blessing because most people aren't, don't inherit that kind of value system from their parents and, or, or, you know, yeah, that to me that was a privilege in and of itself. But also, of course, there have been immense privileges in my life, you know, and I think I wrote at the beginning of when when the black lives matter movement was really gaining a lot of speed in late may early june i wrote about one of my i wrote about my decision to close the ww club as it existed formally and a lot of that was to do with becoming conscious of my white privilege and um the ways that that had enabled me to embrace a style of feminism even though I would never say it was never it was never I was never like fully on board with the entrepreneurs like lean in style of feminism it wasn't that it got mixed up with that but it was certainly um a style of feminism that I realized later on was not as inclusive as um you know my politics now would it reflect and 
I I felt very, very... Um, I, I just couldn't move forward with that anymore. And that was one of the main reasons I decided to close it. So this kind of thinking around privilege was something that predated this year for me very much. So I'd say it's been several years now. And even that was way too late. But what I wrote about in this little newsletter and post was that I think growing up in London in a very multicultural environment actually enables me to be blind to my privilege for much longer because as we're kind of realizing now is this movement has found its own expression in the UK that Britain isn't far from you know um exempt from this as an issue and it just takes very different forms here it's a lot more insidious um and so uh you know the the conversation around privilege is is very much ongoing but there was that was one clear expression of it in my life which I felt had been something that I needed to address and I'm glad I did um but I regret that I didn't make that explicit when I realised it two years ago. And that, to be totally transparent, was because I was not scared of acknowledging it, but scared of, you know, obviously it's a very loaded time right now and, um, you know, one wrong, poorly chosen word can offend and inflame. And I just didn't know how to express it publicly. And also there wasn't such a climate for that and it it, it would have felt sort of like... It felt like it would have been sort of self-important to do that at that time, but it was important for me to do it now. Mm. Just yeah. so anyone who didn't know, you know, I spoke about it with my friends at the time, and but I never really kind of made it public. Um, so I wanted to like take the opportunity to make it public. Mm. Interesting, and I mean, important, I think, for everybody in terms of understanding their privilege and. You know, recognizing you know, what they can do better, yeah, and how they change, yeah, you know, it applies to everybody, and yeah, that's of course myself of, included, yeah, my business, you know, for anybody else who's uh, who has yeah. come from a place of privilege to really recognize that, yeah, and 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 again, that's like foundational to what I'm trying to do with the way that I work and just exist in the world moving forward is to just take a bit more time to think about you know, the, how the decisions that I make affect other people. And, um, you know, it's not all about race. Obviously, race is a massively important component about it, but just sort of having a slightly less self-interested, individualistic, me, me, me and my career view of things and thinking more about the broader impact of um, of everything that I do, whether mm. it's what I buy or, or what I write or... Or where you live. Where I live, and, um, you know, the ideas that I put out into the world. Mm. So moving on, and I guess building on this in mm. terms of, uh, it's, it's not a new focus because it sounds like the focus is always there. It's more like understanding your focus. <laughs> um, what's next? Is Is there... Is there a project that comes off the back of it? You touched briefly on, you know, delving into some of these ideas. Yeah, I mean... Is there I've, something brewing, evolving... I, I very much... That you feel happy to share up? 
I obviously. mean, listen again, I'm very <laughs> transparent. Like this year has thrown me as much as anyone. And I was glad I was able to sort of like render something out of it in the form of this book, but I'm still very much sort of figuring out my, my next steps in a, in a longer term um, context. And I think also right now, <laughs> thinking about the next year for everyone is a really perplexing thing because it's like the parameters of what we're going to be able to do seem to shift constantly and you know a lot of the things that I would have tried to do before are not just completely impossible now Mm. um but yeah I don't I wanted to put the book out I mean I didn't know if anyone would be interested in it and it turns out a lot of people are interested in it um and so I'd like to develop those ideas more and provide more resources for people who are interested in exploring them. I think if I look kind of very broadly at what I want to try and do, I don't really have like, I need to do this and I need to do that. Because again, I'm trying to move on from that very like material milestone, tick, tick, tick way of looking at my work and think more, more broadly about like the kind of value that I'm imparting or what I could do that might actually be useful to people. And I suppose that's evolving a little bit I, I relaunched my newsletter again <laughs> as a kind of public library resource and like I you know try and share ideas that I come across that I think are interesting um I think there's a lot of timeless ideas that are applicable I found really comforting and insightful for the present moment and so I try and share those in a thoughtful way and I'd like to grow that um function of my work expand it build that community that's one thing I'm looking at doing, sort of expanding my newsletter into other, um, having different strands to that kind of offering. I would like to write another book book, one that I, you know, the benefit of working with a publisher, which is something I would really like to do again, is that you get an advance, so you can actually sit down and, you know, I had to, I had to knock this out pretty quickly because I just couldn't afford to spend a year on it, obviously. Um, but I would like to, sit down for a year or two and and think about something a bit more deeply I think I've got the capacity to do that and then um I'd also like to find a way to take the words off the page I think as much as I love reading and and consuming information that way I recognize that it doesn't really suit everyone and um I think what's kind of quite exciting about right now is that there's so many different ways that you can um present information and so I'm trying to think of like more original and thoughtful ways of, of doing that as well. So events, video, well, like events formats, is, or like, I mean, we're not allowed to do events unless you're on a Zoom and that's just not I don't, quite I'm not the same, sure about a Zoom it? event. What do you oh, think yeah, about I'm that? Do, I don't think I'm, I want to attend any. I'm so over it. Yeah, you must live on <clears> Zoom. I d- no, I don't, not Zoom events. I mean, yeah, for years I produced events and I love getting people together in a room and I, that's, again, that's where my natural inclination would be to go to like start organising salons or something but i can't do that and i'm a bit wary of producing a sort of digital version of something that i would have normally so again i'm trying to push myself like i write my ideas down and i just write boring 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 you know i've i want to push myself to do something a bit more interesting and i i've i've taken myself off this like very frenetic pace that i used to try and work at because i just think i ended up churning out some good stuff but some shit stuff as well and like I don't really want to do that anymore so again I think it's been a very 
overwhelming year. And I would like, I'm going to try to move a bit more thoughtfully and slowly moving forward, she says, knocking out a book in a pandemic. Everyone was like, really? <laughs> I was like, are you serious? What's this chapter on workism? Yeah, do you know? No, I mean, listen, I've, <laughs> trust me. Well, I know that I've got a weird pathological problem with work. It's, it, there's some, I need to unpack it with a therapist. But um, yeah. I, I'm I'm my own proof I'm my own like work in progress literally and I think I use my I like I I try and offer that up uh, so it can be useful to someone to be like listen if this madness is going through my head it might be going through yours as well and nine times out of ten at least one or two people come back and go it is so it makes me look a bit nuts but if it's for the greater good hopefully you know it's valuable somehow, hopefully. That's good. I'll be reading it. Yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth. A um, couple more final questions. Yeah. If there was, and I know this is a big question, um, you know, one tip, one mantra, one thing that you live by, <clears throat> and I know you have published and shared many, it, what would it be? In terms of work or... In terms of just anything. I, don't, I mean, for years I had this mental mantra that was like stolen from a Formula One driver, <laughs> which was like, if, if everything feels under control, you're not going fast enough, which just so totally Im exemplifies how like caught up I was in that all that. That sounds like New York times. Oh my God, that was the New York, New, New York years for sure. Um, I think I'm still feeling myself towards like a, a baseline for my my work philosophy and and also I'm a bit resistant of trying to I think there's so much nuance to everything and I tried to like write in aphorisms and and you know little catchy little Instagram quotes for years and like things are just messier than that you know so um personally i'm just trying to like retain some humility and um i just want to get better actually that's really my thing i i have all these writers that i massively admire and thinkers and i just feel so intellectually inferior to them so on a personal note a big part of what i'm going to try and do over the next few years is just actually move my work to a place where it feels closer to the people who I read and go, wow, you know? Um, and that's going to take uh, some work. <laughs> um, and, then, and then in terms of, like, my public, what I end up putting out in the meantime, again, just trying to be more mindful of doing things that are valuable and more cognizant of, like, um, all these, everyone's different positions and experiences in the world right now which are all very different and like I don't know you can't hold the entire experience of the world in your mind all the time otherwise you'd go mad but I think for me it was me 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 for a lot for a long time and I don't I'm trying to shift away from this very like Phoebe Lovett centered narrative and think more about what I can do beyond myself yeah I'm like that Final question. Who would you want to hear from on the show? 
One woman whose re- book work I referenced a lot in this book was this writer, Jenny Idell. Have you heard of her? Yep. I think she's really, I think she, re- her book, How to Do Nothing Resisting the Attention, Attention Economy, was like very formative for me when I read it. And she's so brilliant. And she just really, I think there's been a lot, I mean, there's a lot of books right now coming out along these, uh, the lines of what I've been writing about in different forms, you know, essentially, people trying to navigate life in a late capitalist society. Like, how do you function in a, a capitalist society when you're kind of, you don't really subscribe to it anymore, but it is the reality of life, right? That's what we're all trying to figure out. Mm, like, I don't believe with a, in a lot of this ideology, but this is the reality of my world. So I've got to keep moving and paying the rent. And I feel like her response to that was very thoughtful, very original, um, and really, like, uh, I think quite groundbreaking. Um, it influenced me a lot, and she seems really brilliant, so I'd love to hear her in conversation. So we get on. Yeah. What's the best way of people contacting you? DM. No, I'm joking. Please don't DM me. <laughs> There's so many scary people in my DMs. Um, my website, phoebelovett.com, or, yeah, on Instagram, or... Luckily, I've got the handle for my name across the board. So if you search Phoebe Lovett, you'll find me. Great. Phoebe, great to chat again. Likewise. Good to have you back in London. Thanks. And uh, wish you every success in your future projects. Thank you. And not getting a job. Never.